Welcome to Senior Rx Radio, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Senior Rx Radio is brought to you by the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists, the ASCP. ASCP is devoted to optimal medication management and improved health care outcomes for older adults. Learn more at our website, ASCP.com. Hey there, Pharmacy Podcast Network listeners. This is the next episode. Excited to bring you Senior Rx Radio. It's a collaboration between the Pharmacy Podcast Network and the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists, the ASCP. By the way, the ASCP's annual conference is coming up faster than you'll know it. Summer will be over. You'll be putting the kids back on the school bus. <coughs> Let's not even say that. Um, looking forward to summer 2017. But they're planning in a terrific annual event Uh, The Florida 2017 ASCP Annual Meeting in Kissimmee, Florida. And that's going to be at the Gaylord Palms Resort on November 2nd through the 5th. And that's going to be a tremendous event. I really enjoy the speakers that they're going to be having as well as the workshops and be able to collaborate, network together. But today is all about value-based care. What in the world does that even mean? I'm so excited to have back our host, Chad Wurz. And also a very special guest, Mr. Harry Thibodeau. And I wanted to actually just turn the show over to Chad first. But before I do, something very interesting that I read about the company that Harry works with, Pharmacare Incorporated, medication-related problems and medication mismanagement are a huge health problem with serious cost implications. And in this age of complexity, employers are striving to help their uh, families and their employees really contain costs and give back better care with high quality while saving money. And to that end, this Asheville project, <laughs> this Asheville project that Harry's been part of, has proven to reduce affordable treatment and hospitalizations that will generate substantial cost savings up to four times greater than the cost of the program. So I'm really excited kicking this over to Chad. Good morning, Chad. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Terrific. Senior Rx Radio back on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Excited about today's show. And with that, I'll turn it over to you, Chad. All right, thanks. Um, this is Senior Rx Radio for the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists and Pharmacists Podcast. And I am very pleased and excited to have Harry Thibodeau and one of his uh, colleagues, Bai Wu, or B. Wu, in the room to talk about their um, innovative programs. Just a little background, Pharmacare is a New Jersey-based organization, and it's actually a family of companies that provides pharmacist-based services to skilled nursing facilities, assisted living, dialysis and surgical centers. They also have programs for employee medication assessment and management, and we'll talk about those today. Uh, And they also have new admission review services and services in the continual care arena for um, senior patients. It was founded in 1976, and I would be remiss if we didn't talk for a few minutes about its founder, Harlan Martin. For those that knew him or knew of him, he was extraordinarily passionate about a pharmacist's role in medication management. He was an entrepreneur's entrepreneur. He was a friend, and many of us are doing what we're doing today, standing on the shoulders of Harlan and pharmacists like Harlan. Um, I have one comment before I, I... throw it over to Harry uh, on Harlan that a colleague of mine talked about uh, when they referred back to Harlan Martin. 
And they said, I met Harlan Martin in November of 1991, and I vividly remember my first conversation with him. I stood there and I listened to this man with a thick, energetic New Jersey accent, emote about geriatric pharmacotherapy and how he was determined to be an integral part of minimizing nursing home residents' exposure to unnecessary drugs and drug-related problems. He was talking nonstop about clinical interventions, outcomes, and quality assurance, Ironically, those are all the buzzwords that we use today in our current legislative and regulatory initiatives. I was greatly transfixed by his unwavering passion and vibrant vision. And I quote that person because that is a wonderful comment about how I perceived Harlan Martin and how many people in the senior care world um, remember Harlan Martin. And it really speaks to the organization that he built. Uh, his friend and colleague, Harry Thibodeau, who now runs that organization and the continued work that it does, innovating for pharmacists and innovating in the senior care and employer-based pharmacy space. So, Harry, with that, um, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chad, and thank you for the kind words about Harlan. Hey, it's much appreciated. Absolutely. In that spirit... Let's talk about the expanding borders of pharmacy and talk about how Harlan's spirit and Harlan's direction is guiding PharmaCare today. Uh, so uh, we started out, as, as you had mentioned, as a traditional long-term care pharmacy providing company. And, and over the years, we've morphed into all of those avenues that you discussed. And we've never been an organization that, that liked to stand still. Uh, I'd like to think that we look to where the future of this profession should be and, you know, and try and hit those targets. And one of the things that we looked at and, and invested, uh, in invested quite a bit in, um, time, effort, and, and finance was in the area of value-based care. Uh, it's something that we saw about five, six years ago that, um, we thought would be a growing market space. Uh, and so, uh, with patients, we, um, we brought in the right people, I think, to, uh, to get the program going. And now five years later, uh, the, the program is up and running, uh, where you're serving, uh, several clients with, uh, our value-based care model. Uh, we have several more, uh, clients coming on board and, um, I'm proud to say that, uh, our first year results five years ago after one year was uh, uh, a return on investment of uh, four, about four and a half to one. Uh, as we sit here now, our average return on investment is 7.3 to one. So uh, thanks to the diligence of V and her colleagues uh, running the clinical end of this department, um, we're very, very successful and very satisfied. And I think most of all, as a company that is an advocacy company. We were not in the business of, of buying or selling medication. We never have been. Um, it's very rewarding to know that this is a new expanding market that we can be successful in. I think there's a couple points in there. I just want to um, elucidate for the listeners. One is New Jersey is unique in the sense that in traditional skilled nursing consulting, there's a mandate that the pharmacist has to be independent of the dispensing pharmacy. And that's been around here. You can correct me for uh, a number of years. I don't know the, the length of time that that rule and law has been in place, but it's been some time. And that's certainly 
um, a unique aspect of New Jersey. But what I want people to understand is that that in really no way has influenced um, your progress into value-based care. And when people hear value-based care today, contemporarily, they're thinking about we're trying to keep people from readmitting to the hospital after a short stay in a nursing facility. Um, and certainly people working in ambulatory have different definitions of what value-based care may be. But I think what's important to recognize from PharmaCare's perspective is that you've done what we're all trying to do with the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists, with our own businesses, which is translate what we know is a very valuable and viable commodity, which is our ability to manage medications and patients and turn that into a business model and a business model that, you know, we have to press on the borders of where pharmacists have been and, and where they were in order to achieve that. And that's really what you've done in this model. So can you, can you talk a little bit about that and a little bit about the kinds of clients that you've been able to attract uh, to this value-based care model? Sure. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to allow V to uh, answer some of these questions, but before I, before I do introduce her, uh, you know, I would just say that, you know, we looked at, we looked at this model very, very carefully. And our goal was to encompass all avenues of, uh, of, of the healthcare continuum. It wasn't just focused on young people. It wasn't focused on employer-based. It was looking at everyone, including seniors, including those post-acute care patients. With that said, uh, it was vital for us to find someone that had that level of experience. So just to kind of um, give everyone a little background of who I am is I'm a certified diabetes educator and um, certified geriatric pharmacist and um, transition care management. So before I came into PharmaCare, I worked as a company called Dovetail Health, and it's based out in Massachusetts. I mean, that company is now part of Optum United Healthcare, but the company goal at that point was to reduce readmission rate and ER visit in high-risk population. And so their goal was to send clinical pharmacists out there into the patient home who were discharged from the hospital or sniffed within 48 hours. And sending the pharmacy into the patient home to make sure that the medication discharge is optimized and making sure that the patient is at an appropriate level of care and keeping them safe at home. That led me here uh, into pharma care and to kind of lead this value-based program. And this program is really setting pharmacists from not traditional outpatient, also as a public. And the, the uniqueness of this health map RX program that we're doing, in particularly to the, well, I guess to be more specific, is like we are doing, we are doing this health map program with in, um, it's a city east in uh, New Jersey. And it's different from other disease management programs that a lot of health plan um, and wellness program introduce to um, different entity is that it's just an inpatient face-to-face healthcare program. And it's used, and it's really, trying to make the employees, you know, be accountable for, for their health, you know. And the program really emphasized on optimizing drug therapy, but also to assess and improve the employees' knowledge and self-care skills. And it's also for clinical pharmacists and the employees to establish the goals and 
really provide a more motivational and support to the employees and making sure that they stay healthy, right? And um, the, the saving outcome of the program is really reduce the hospital admission ER visit, but also reduce absences and improvement in productivity. And so that's what this program is about. Now, if, if I could just back up for a second. Um, Chad, you had mentioned something about New Jersey that was uniquely different than the rest of the country. So just take us back for a second. Uh, Yes, there is separation in New Jersey. The first phase of separation occurred in 1986 with the Attorney General at that time. Uh, and then the Department of Health and Senior Services in the state of New Jersey, uh, they they dovetailed onto that process in, uh, I would say, early, late 1990-91. So it, it is, in fact, as you say, uh, uh, you know, a, a separated state. Now, having said that, you know, we looked at this process very differently. We also looked at this process as pharmacists, recognizing that currently we are not recognized by Washington as healthcare professionals under the Social Security. Uh, so, you know, the, the first hurdle that we or anybody that tries to do this would face is is the issue of billing. And we had to look at this, and when you talk about business models, we had to look at this in a very different form. Uh, I couldn't be concerned with whether or not I could bill uh, my services through the insurance companies. I had to take a different avenue. So the approach that we took was to look at uh, any entity, whether it be uh, a business, small or medium, whether it be a government or quasi-government agency, and look for those individual uh, businesses that are at risk under their health plan. So if they're a company that's at risk, then that's a company we know we can. Uh, and, and so that's that's the tack we took. It didn't matter if I could build an insurance company as long as I could go in and do what we always do for our customers, and that's free claim analysis uh, of, of their plan. And through that claim analysis, we know that we can save them money. And we put together a report. We put together a projected ROI. And then... You know, it, the decision then becomes that of the potential client. Um, and, you know, as I said, uh, our successes right now uh, are, I would consider, fairly good. Um, so, you know, I guess for any young person out there that wants to get in into a different avenue of our profession, it's there for you. You just have to think of the box. Um, I certainly appreciate what Tom Minahan is trying to do at APHA. I think it's a good thing. But I think it's going to take a while. Um, and I don't think people should wait for that to happen before they start realizing that there's potential out there for them. And when you say um, what, what Tom is doing, you mean pursuing provider status legislatively? Yeah, pursuing provider status, you know, in underserved areas. And, you know, when I first saw that, I thought, well, you know, I live in the state of New Jersey. I mean, almost 9 million people in the most densely populated state in the country. You know, this isn't. This isn't rural Appalachia. How many underserved areas am I going to find in the state of New Jersey? And to my surprise, 15 out of 21 counties are considered underserved. But I'm still not sure that that whole thing has been flushed out to determine what it's going to get me. If I were an individual pharmacist and I wanted to go into business, I'm sure that that might be a good avenue. But as a corporation trying to create a business model, the reimbursements may not be sufficient to have that as a sustainable business. 
So this is why I say, regardless of uh, whether I'm recognized and allowed to bill, there's still avenues out there that can be pursued by young professionals, old professionals like myself, that uh, it can generate revenue. And I think that's a valuable comment because I was I was going down the road of making a comment about how you've pursued and looked under every rock to find opportunity when it comes to selling your services. And that means looking at those at-risk customers, the self-insured employers that are out there, the municipalities that are out there that are uh, effective self-insured and being able able to deliver value to them in the, in the manner that you have, that's, that's critical. It's critical because that helps us make the sale other places. It's those arenas that sort of the pioneers have already pushed through and demonstrated value from that eventually end up making the service more mainstream and available to other customers. And it probably ends up pushing the provider status legislation down the road further. Uh, and maybe that's, you know, the angle from the organizations has been, well, let's do that with rural communities that are underserved because that's an easy way to get in there and prove value. You're doing it from a business perspective, going after those clients that make sense uh, from a self-insured standpoint and from a uh, municipality standpoint. Uh, can, can I add in something, Jack? Sure. Is that we are in uh, um, an age of, Data driven is that as clinical pharmacists doing all different kind of intervention, ultimately producing us outcome, but those outcomes have to be so. Any program that we are doing that show the ROI potential clients that show that clinical pharmacist intervention will produce this outcome, you know, so we kind of have to link that data driven age. Is that what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, and, and Chad, just for you know, those that are listening. This is not a short path that we've taken. As I said in the beginning, it's, you know, it took us five years to get to a point where we're, you know, the business is, is now growing and sustainable and we know success. Uh, and it does come at a cost. And B is right. Data is king. You have got to be able to show outcomes. If you can't show outcomes, then your value is extremely limited. I'm not going to say that that's something we had to learn to do that going in, but that's something we've done as an organization for several years. Well, I had this conversation the other day with some other pharmacists, and it's not just the data and analyzing the data. It becomes a question of how do you use that data to demonstrate your value? We, we live in an environment where maybe a better drug is the answer, but it costs more. Maybe... Uh, adding a drug is an answer and it costs more. Maybe pulling drugs off is an answer and it costs less. But all those things have to be teased out in that data analysis. And those are very difficult things to manage and to demonstrate. And, you know, obviously you've been able to do that in a, in a very successful way to, to continue to evolve and promote your business. And that, that again, needs to be applauded because that's, that's not easy. As a pharmacist, if I stop somebody from using a medication that they don't need to be on, do I say I saved them 30 bucks for this month? Yeah. Do I say that I saved them 360 bucks because we would assume that medication may have lasted a year? It's very difficult. And then you get into the outcomes reduction. How many trips to the ER did I save them by changing their medications? And those are, those are very difficult to, to show and prove. And it takes an articulate client 
and a very articulate provider to demonstrate those kinds of outcomes. Yeah, I mean, there, you know, as a, again, there, there were challenges in the beginning. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts to this. Uh, when you're going after specific clients, you're dealing with unions. So, you know, there's negotiations there. You're dealing with the large insurance companies that never want to share their information. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of teasing that, that, that has to be done. But in the end, if you persevere, uh, you can get it done. Now, when it comes to uh, when it comes to the data, you're right. Um, some of the things that are counterintuitive to what you may think, you know, we we explain this to our customers uh, during our first or second meeting. You may see an increase in your drug spend, and you know, the first reaction is, "Well, your pharmacist, you know, I thought you're here to." sell me something that's going to decrease my spend. What I'm going to do is help you decrease your overall spend. Uh, your drug costs could go up, but the other costs that you're incurring because of those increase in drug costs will go down significantly. And, you know, that that's part of the goal. It's, you know, that's part of the, the give and take that we play with. But uh, as I said, it, it's been extremely rewarding. It has been successful. And um, I look forward to doing more. And if you recall a few years back, I mean, you know, we were, you know, there were a number of us that were hot on separation going back to 2011. Um, you know, that's sort of under the bridge. Um, you know, sort of like, you know, we have to have provider status or we can't get any of this done. Well, it's an impediment that, that we just chose here to push aside and look at how we do business a different way. Uh, there's always ways around things that become a your business. Oh, yeah, and I think I think that's a good corollary. Talking about provider status and making that a barrier is the same thing as talking about not having separation and making it a barrier. You've got to work around that from a business perspective and be able to demonstrate your value in such a way that people make the decision to use you when they don't have to use you. And I think that's an important concept for all pharmacists when they're trying to deliver innovative care is if you do a good job and, and you're on top of your game, and you are able to secure a client where you can make a difference and you make that difference, that's the, that's the thing that's going to tie you to that physician's office, that clinic, that municipality, that self-insured employer, that nursing home. All those things are dependent upon your value and your ability to articulate that value in a meaningful way to that client. So I think that's, uh, that's interesting. And, and, and you know what? One of the things that, that I would highly recommend for anybody that wants to get into this is if you're fortunate enough to have your first client, uh, a business, find a champion in that business, find somebody that you've been successful, that is so appreciative of the service that you've delivered that they'd be willing to be your champion. Uh, somebody in government that had a very high position and the turnaround that they made with the program was remarkable. If they wanted to go with us everywhere, <laughs> they want to become sort of like my marketing arm. Uh, but but just find a champion that is willing to stand up and speak to the program. Yeah, there was a book um, a number of years ago, a business book called Raving Fans, and it was along that same philosophy that if you do 
the job right, if you do a good job, you're going to create these clients that are raving fans and they're going to run around and they're going to be your marketing for you. And yeah, I mean, even, even to this day, I mean, you know, uh, we bring clients on, but you'd be surprised how many clients still want to come on board just by word of mouth, by hearing from their friends or their colleagues that, Hey, you got to get in this program. Um, you know, so yeah, having, having those champions, uh, having, and having the right person job, uh, it's, you know, there are critical skills that are required to do this. You must be a people. You know, if, if, if you don't want to sit down and talk to people and do that motivational interviewing, then you have to reassess whether this is something you want to do. But if you have good motivational interviewing skills, this is really a good opportunity. Well, I want to, I want to sort of end the, the conversation. I always like counterintuitive um, concepts. I think that's what, you know, people latch on to when they hear of innovations and stories. So I'm going to put, put both of you on the spot uh, without revealing any company secrets. What do you think the most encounter, counterintuitive thing that you found in this endeavor about medications and about medication management that, that you can share with the audience? What's, what's something that just you would say, nah, that's not an issue and wow, that's really a big issue? Um, the biggest issue that we found with this particular program in the beginning was trying to sell the program. You would think with all the data that we could produce, uh, you know, you have your first client, you're successful with your first client. You would think that it would be really easy to convince that second client that, wow, this is something we need to do. And, and yet it was not easy. They're very reluctant to jump on board. And I guess, you know, it's, it's probably human nature. That's something that I didn't think about when we had these encounters that people are reluctant to spend their money. Uh, you know, they're doubting time. And, and early on, I mean, we had these experiences where, you know, we would talk to, uh, business leaders in the States said, well, show me where it's done in New Jersey. <laughs> and I was like, somehow we're different biological units here than we are in other States. Um, so that, you know, not getting somebody to jump on this when they could see the hard data was rather shocking to me. So V from a clinical perspective, is there anything counterintuitive that you've learned through this process? Oh, I see what your question is. Okay. So I think from my experience is that, the first thing is building that trust relationship with the patient. Because a lot of time they're not telling you what they're taking, like over the specific over the counter medication. That when I'm telling you, take, you really show me what you're taking. Oh, I'm like, oh, I didn't tell you I'm taking this medication uh, before V. Oh, I forgot. I am taking this medication. You know, and and I'm like, well, this may interact with your medication. I guess what I'm trying to tell you is to really do that from patient when they really trust you to kind of really tell you the whole story. Because a lot of time you don't get the whole story and, um, and, and that creates a lot of problems. So, I mean, there was time when I went into a patient home and, you know, they're bringing all this medication, you know, that they're taking and then I'm like, oh, can you show me your cabinet that you're taking your medication and found out a whole other over-the-counter medication, especially in geriatric, geriatric population that, you know, that can interact and cause all kinds of problems. 
you know? Yeah, that's, that's great. That's a great example that right. just that what you can discover from a patient interview right. from what they say they're taking that's a quote-unquote drug and what they're really taking that are quote-unquote drugs is probably a, a, a very revealing conversation once you get right. to the the bottom line. And Chad, can I can I kind of leave everyone because I think I want to bring this one point before we ever end the conversation is that as clinician, we are very I think we've we've been taught to be very directive toward the patient like okay, you know, this is how you should do it. And this is what you should do. And um and all is good in certain, you know, case, but a lot of Pharmacy, even even physician, you know, we just we were trained in different way, but that old way don't really change the patient behavior and don't really build that trust relationship. So, I really recommend everyone if they haven't done it to really read the book called Motivational Interviewing. You know, um, have you read that book, Chad? I have not, but I will pick okay. it up. Yes. I really think I really think all the clinician, especially those clinicians that are communicating with with patient in general, is that is really an eye opening um, book that really talk about how do we interact with patients and how we can get them to change behavior, how we get them to communicate with us from their perspective, because ultimately if we are convincing them to take the medication. Or we convince them to change certain behavior that we're not really That's is they the patient have behavior and thinking about changing behavior is how we so I really recommend it. And that may be something that um, SCP can look forward to putting on an agenda at a at a meeting in the future is to have somebody come in and present on the value of motivational speaking. Right. Yeah, that, that would be that would be excellent. And yeah. and Chad, let me interject here because you asked a question about counterintuitive behaviors. What V just said is critical because one of the other surprises on the other end of that counterintuitive question was being told that well Forget about the police departments. Forget about the fire departments. You will never get them on board because their whole persona is based on the perception that they're healthy, strapping individuals. So I just looked at that as a group in my client base and said, okay, I'll forget about it. Well, V and her colleagues said, no, we're not going to forget about it. We're going after them. And that was very counterintuitive to me because through their skill sets, they were very successful in getting the police and the fire departments to join into their programs. To the point where one of those champions that I spoke of happens to be a fire chief in one of our cities. So that was very surprising to me. That's great. That's a great story. Well, Harry, Vi, V, Harry, V, I appreciate your, your time today and kind of exposing what PharmaCare is doing, uh, sort of pushing the envelope of where pharmacists can provide value. And I thank you for your time. Uh, you're welcome, Chad. And, you know, final note, the only limitations that we have out there are the ones that we set for ourselves. I mean, I, I would just encourage everybody to, you know, follow your dreams, go for it. Absolutely. Inspiring. Harry, you're a friend and a mentor, and I appreciate uh, everything you do for this profession and the work that you're doing at PharmaCare. 
And for Senior Rx Podcast, uh, this is Chad Wurz signing off until next time. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Senior Rx Radio. Be sure to share this podcast with your fellow consultant pharmacists and pharmacy associates to learn more about better outcomes for older adult patients. Join us on the web at ASCP.com.